All right, turn to the 35th book in the Old Testament, which is Habakkuk, 35th book in the Old Testament. Very small book. Some of you might not know it existed, but it does. Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Excited about this new study this morning as we really venture in for the next four to six weeks and look at some very practical, applicable truths for the, the day and age that we live in. This isn't a book that I've heard a lot of preaching from, but as I've been reading it and studying it, I've realized just how modern it truly is. Now, this book is about 2,600 years old, but at the same time, the principles, that's what I love God's Word, the principles within the book are still so true today, 26, 2,700 years later. So I'm really excited about this. The title is, as it says, When God Doesn't, and we're going to look at some things specifically over the next four to six weeks. Today's message, the title is, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And there's a lot of times, at least in my life, where God doesn't always make sense. So I'm going to start this morning with a very deep theological question. Hopefully you guys are ready for it. Why do we ask the question, why? That's the deep theological question. Why do we often ask the question, why? Anybody want to venture a guess? Anything at all? We don't understand. That's great. What else? Why do we often ask the question, why? We want to know. We want to know. I know sometimes we get tired of our kids asking that question, right? But adults, we're just as bad sometimes as our children. I know I am, and my wife loves it when I ask those why questions constantly to her. Uh, Why else? Anybody else? Why do we ask the question, why? David? We want control. That's good. We want control. Can't control it if we don't even know. Anybody else? Why do we ask the question, why? Anybody? Anybody at all? Nobody wants to. What? Feel sorry for ourselves. Okay. Very good. What else? Anybody else? Not everybody wants. It's okay. Jason. To understand the situation. To understand the situation. Very good. There's a lot of reasons, I think, why we ask the question why. And I, I think really most simplest, simplistic answer is that we want to know, right? We want to know the answer to our why question. And there's been a lot of times in my life that I've asked that why question in different forms or fashion to God. Why have you done this? Why is this going on in the earth? Anybody ever ask similar type questions? You know, 2020 was a year that probably a lot of people asked that why question to God. Why is all of this going on? It doesn't make sense, Lord. And again, that's what we're going to try to answer, not just in today's message, but over the next several weeks as we study the book of Habakkuk. You know, the, 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 the key thing is that life is very confusing. I think at its core, is it not? Very confusing at its core. And there's a lot of things in life, just you know, forget about the Christian life, just life in general. There's a lot of things that do not make sense, right? A lot of things that don't make sense. Um, oh man, what? Somebody tell me something that doesn't make sense to you. I mean, I've got my own things. Michael? Why do we drive on the Oh, that's great. Why do we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? I mean, that's, that's a great theological question. You know, with that, why do they call it a boxing ring when it's square? You know, things like that. Uh, <laughs> anybody else? Some questions like that? No, nothing? 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 Nothing at all? Why do ships have cargo? Why do ships have cargo? Ooh. And man, we are getting completely off track here. All right, one more, Michael. Why is there Android Why is there Android phones? Because they are superior to the Apple phones. That's why. There it is. 
We will answer that question, Kevin, during this series, but probably not. Probably not. Here's the truth. We tend to lose sight of Jesus sometimes during difficulties. I'm saying this for my own self as well. A lot of times during difficulties, during times of stress, during seasons of anxiety, pressure, circumstances that are beyond our control, we tend to lose sight of Jesus. And before I really get into the study of Habakkuk, I can't help but think of Jesus and his disciples in the boat in the middle of the storm. How many know that story, referencing that story, what I'm talking about? Here's what was going on. Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. And outside, there was a storm, a literal storm, raging around them. And the disciples got fearful because they thought their tiny little boat was going to capsize. They were going to drown. But what did they do? They lost sight of who Jesus was and where he was. Where was Jesus during that storm? It's, it's a tough question. Where, where was Jesus in the storm? He was asleep, but he was in the boat specifically, right? He was with them, right? He was in their presence, But yet, even amidst the difficulties, the storm that is going on around them, they're basically asking, hey, Jesus, don't you see what's going on? Don't you even care about us? Now, that right there, I mean, that's a message in and of itself. And, you know, that story cuts deep for many of us. We have to remember, first and foremost, that Jesus does care about us, doesn't he? Okay, yes, thank you, Amanda. He does care about us. We've got one person ready. He cares about us deeply. He is there even when things seem silent. But with his disciples, Jesus turned their distress into a teaching moment, as he does for often, or for many of us. And he basically asked them the question of, hey, where's your faith? And Jesus cuts right to the heart of the problem. And really, it's the question that we're going to answer in this series And the question he was asking his disciples was this. Do you even know who I am? Just stop and think about that for a minute. As the disciples are fearful with what's going on around them, the literal storm that they're in, hey, where's your faith? And he's basically saying, do you even know who I am? Did you forget who is with you? And really, those are the questions that I want us to think about today and in this series. Do you really know who Jesus is? And do you realize who is with you if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God? Because here's the reality. When things of life don't make sense, we question, God, where are you? Don't you even care about my life? Don't you even care that all of these troubles keep coming my way? What is going on? And there are times where it seems like God is silent. And I think we can identify with the disciples And this is where we find ourselves in the story of Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is a very deep theological book. It's an interesting book. It's one of the 17 prophetic books in the Old Testament. In fact, there are five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Now, just a quick history, quick reference. The minor prophets are called that not because of their significance, but because of their size. In fact, the five major prophets... In my Bible, one of my Bibles encompassed like 131 pages, whereas the 12 minor prophets only encompass like 30 pages. So it's more about the size and not the significance and the weight behind it. Because really, some of these minor prophets that a lot of people don't study are very heavy in doctrine and theological truth. 
And what we get to in Habakkuk in comparison to Isaiah, Isaiah is really God talking or God giving Isaiah a message to give to the people. But Habakkuk is really a conversation with God. So Habakkuk is talking to God. And I think it's going to resonate within many of us because as he's asking some of these questions that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, I think they're questions that we've probably even asked ourselves and even asked God as well. The year is around 605 BC. King Josiah was a godly king, but he was killed in 609 BC, 609 years before Jesus Christ came. He was replaced by his son, Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim was not like his dad. He was wicked. He was evil. The Bible even says that Jehoiakim did evil in the Lord's sight. Now, imagine having a kid that was nothing like you. Some of you are like, I have a kid like that. Uh, But this kid was completely contrary to Josiah. Josiah honored God, loved God, served God. His son did not. Wanted, in a sense, nothing to do with God and did evil. Now the nation of Judah had plunged into idolatry. When Josiah was the king, they were living for God and serving, serving God. But when the shift happened in leadership... They kind of followed the leadership that was there, which happens sometimes in our own country. And just a quick background, the nation, the nation of Judah had plunged headlong back into a cesspool of corruption, immorality, and idolatry. That had plagued it for so many generations, and this time it seemed as if they were hell-bent on their own destruction. Instead of edging toward the cliff, they seemed determined to just plunge over the cliff full speed. It was a nation that was, in a sense, had a death wish and really seemed like they had no use for God at all. And I feel like sometimes that's where America is going, that we have no use for God. And I feel like sometimes that's where even our churches are heading. Now, I don't have this in your notes, but I just want to give you quickly a reference point as we start this study of Habakkuk, because these things that I'm going to give you quickly, they resonate deep within us. If you want to give a brief outline of the book of Habakkuk, there's only three short chapters. It's this. First of all, chapter one is a faith tested. Chapter two is a faith taught. Chapter three is a faith triumphant. And before we go on, just, just look at that. If you want to write that down, you can. There's several things we're going to you know, mention here briefly as a way of introduction. But think about this. This is where many of us are. Our faith gets tested at some time in our life. How many have ever had your faith tested? Anybody? I think all of us have had our faith tested at some point in our life. So God does this because he wants to teach us something, right? He wants to teach us some important truths. So we all start here with a faith tested as Habakkuk does in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, it's really God trying to teach him some things. Think about, again, raising kids. I use this illustration a lot. Raising kids, they have moments where you have to teach them things. You have to instruct them with some things. So this is Habakkuk. His faith is being tested. He's questioning God. So then he moves to God is teaching him. God is trying to help him understand. And then finally it starts to make sense for Habakkuk. And then he moves to that faith triumphant. But before I move on, this is where many Christians fail to get to. You see, our faith gets tested, right? And then God is trying to teach us things through his word, through preaching, through teaching, through Bible studies, through other friendships. But we have a hard time accepting those truths, right? We have a hard time believing the things that he is teaching us. 
And instead of moving beyond the teaching and the testing to that triumphant, thriving area of our lives, we stay in the questioning time. Let's move on because it continues. You can describe his personal journey in three ways. First of all, it's chapter one, it's an argument. Anybody ever argued with anyone? Probably today on your way here to church. All right, I see people pointing their hands again every week. It's awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, we, <laughs> sorry, that was, that was funny. Um, but chapter one, it's an argument. Chapter two, it's an answer. Again, he's arguing with God. He's questioning God. Then God answers him. And then finally, Habakkuk moves to the acceptance stage. But again, let this, I, I, I don't want to just move quickly beyond this because this resonates within all of us. All of us at times argue with God, question God. God, what are you doing? Why is life happening the way it's happening? Why don't things make sense the way that I think they do? And then God gives us an answer from his word, and instead of accepting it, we go back to the argument stage, right? Again, anybody ever been there? Yes, many of us. So again, this is his journey. It's a journey of arguing to, all right, here's the argument, now here's the answer. Here's the answer that I'm giving you. Now accept the answer, and Habakkuk did, and when he finally accepted the answer that a lot of things don't make sense the way that he thought, his life was so much better in his eyes, and he understood some things. Now continue on. Here's what the prophet is doing in each chapter. Chapter one, he's asking. Chapter two, he's waiting, and that's where many of us do. We we ask God, and then that's that waiting period. Nobody likes the waiting period. Nobody. I don't like the waiting period because I want things to move at the speed that I want them to move to. But then chapter 3, and chapter 3 is a phenomenal chapter on prayer. It's a chapter of prayer. He's praying to God, and God is giving him what he needs. And along the way, Habakkuk experiences a total change. And this is what I can't wait to get to in the weeks to come. In this book, he moves from fear to faith. Anybody ever been fearful? Yes. He moves beyond his fear to faith in God. He moves from his burden to his blessing. He moves from perplexity to praise, from confusion to confidence, and finally from worry to worship. And we had talked about that a little bit last week, that many of us worry. We stress out about things. J. Vernon McGee says that Habakkuk begins with a question mark and ends with an exclamation point. And here's the series goal that I want us to get from this. The goal of this series is to really answer some deep theological questions. How do we respond when God appears to be silent? How do we respond when God doesn't do for us what we expect him to do? Let me say those again. They're in your notes, I think. But how do we respond when God appears to be silent? How do we respond... When God doesn't do for us what we expect him to do. You see, the reality is, a lot of times in my life, God hasn't answered the way that I thought he should answer. He answered in a completely different way. He did things that, to me, did not make sense. And sometimes it took years to make sense. And sometimes, even today, there's still things that doesn't make sense. But again, it's about his sovereignty. The fact that he is in control. And Habakkuk, as we get into chapter 1, it says the burden or the oracle, this burdensome message which Habakkuk the prophet did see. See, Habakkuk is confused, he's agitated. Again, that's where many of us are. Confused, he's agitated, not really sure what's going on. 
In the next few verses, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses this morning. What we see is a series of issues that are haunting him and that haunt many of us today. And this message is, again, it's not going to be a complete message because we have to study the whole book to understand it all. And I encourage you to be here every week in your place so we can hear these messages as they build off each other and get to the point of the argument, to the answer, to the acceptance of God is sovereign, God is in control. Even when things seem like God is silent or it seems like he's not in control, he is. And these issues that we're going to talk about today are issues that haunt many of us. And each of these could be their own message, but again, we don't have time to talk about all of them. But look at verse number two before I give you the first point. It says, O Lord, how long, now now just listen to this, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Okay, let's just stop right there. (laughs) Anyone ever been there? God, how, how long do I have to cry to you until you hear what I said? How long do I have to call out to you until you answer me? And that's where Habakkuk is. How long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? Now we're going to go to Psalm and reference that here in just a second. But I want want you to consider what is going on in Habakkuk's day in the nation of Judah. Here's what's going on. There are riots. There is warfare. There's murder, there's unrest, there's corruption in high places, there is sexual perversion. Now, does any of this sound familiar to today? Yeah, because in some way it it is today. There's riots today, there's warfare, there's murder and unrest, there's corruption in high places, sexual perversion. The same things that we experience today are the same things that Habakkuk experienced. And as he surveys the evil around him, he sees on every hand, he cries out to God, God, how can you let this go on? The moral and spiritual bankruptcy of the nation's leadership sent the people into a downward spiral. You see, this was a culture of immorality, of greed, of deception, hatred, injustice, hypocrisy, oppression. Kind of sounds eerily like our own culture, right? And what we see in these first two verses, this first issue is this, the pain of unanswered prayer. The pain of unanswered prayer. There's a lot of questions I'm going to ask that really I know the answer to. But have you ever prayed and you felt like your prayers were unanswered? It's a painful thing, isn't it? When you think about it. God, I've been praying to you. I've been calling out to you. I mean, the Bible says all these things and your preacher preaches on certain things in prayer and I've done what I'm supposed to do and can't hear. Again, anybody? Does this resonate? Good. And the first issue he has is this pain of unanswered prayer. You see, Habakkuk ministered during the final days of the Assyrian Empire. If you like history, it's an amazing thing to study. The final days of the Assyrian Empire and during the rise of the Babylonian Empire. And like Habakkuk, many of us carry around this pain of unanswered prayer in our hearts. We may even wonder why God doesn't respond 
to our request. Now, just for reference point, turn back, if you would, just very quickly, to the book of Psalms. Because as we've seen in the first two verses, it's similar to even what David has prayed. And we're just going to run through a couple of them very quickly this morning. Psalm chapter 2, first of all. First of all Psalm chapter 2. You know, many of these psalms were written by David, and in many of the psalms, it's David questioning God. You know, that's why I love studying the book of Psalms, and that's why I love reading them, because it's like David's questions have been my questions. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? <laughs> why, why is evil going around in the world, Lord? Again, this is David asking this question. And we can read the rest of it, but let's skip to chapter 3. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? How are the ones that are troubling me, how do they get elevated? It doesn't make sense. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be that, that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. And like many of David's Psalms, he has that, that word, that pause, Selah. That purposeful pause that kind of gets him to stop. Move on to chapter number 10. And there's much more that we can talk about. But look at verse number 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Again, this is not complete because there's so much more in these Psalms to unpack. But the questions that David is asking are really similar to the questions that Habakkuk is going to be asking. And it's similar to the questions that we ask. You see, sooner or later, we all wonder about God's seeming inactivity in our lives. Where is God when we need Him? Again, most of you know my story and you understand where I've been from in my life, but I've asked those questions. You know, where is God when two new parents pray for their terminally ill son only to see him die a couple months later? Where is God? Where is God when a youth group is on their way back from camp, literally minutes away from the church, and the bus gets in a crash, kills the youth pastor and his wife and several other in it. Where is God? Where is God when someone in our family, someone that we love, gets cancer? Where is God when someone hurts us? Should we go on? Where is God when people pray and their situation doesn't seemingly get better? You know, honestly, I want you to understand, it's okay to question God. It is. But let me help you with something that I have to help myself on a daily basis with. God doesn't always answer to us. Actually, no. God doesn't answer to us. We answer to God. Let me say that again. Because this has helped me and I have to, I have to remember this time and time again in my life. God does not answer to Chris Thorne. Chris Thorne answers to God. Because I am not in control. I am the creation, not the creator. But again, how many times do we try to elevate ourselves to creator status when we are not the creator? And again, it's okay to question God, but again, we have to understand that we are not in control, and the reality is we can't see the whole picture, can we? All we see is what's right in front of our face, which doesn't make sense. But God, from above, He sees the whole landscape. He knows where we're going even before we go there. And I want you to understand a very important truth. Your freedom to question God is not a right. It's a gift of His grace. 
Your freedom to question God is not a right. It's a gift of His grace. For many people, the concept of God's unquestionable authority is disturbing. Do you know why? Because they don't really know God. And that's the reality that most people live in. Most people in church don't really know God. Well, you know some facts about God. But facts about God versus knowing God is completely different. Those that are married, you should know your spouse in a much deeper way than anyone else knows them. You see, we can't fathom God's sovereignty because we don't know him. And that's, what, that's why I preach and that's why I get so passionate sometimes because you know, I was even talking to my sister about some things yesterday and you know, I didn't have been on that subject for over two years now. And I feel like sometimes, honestly, I feel like I'm, I'm preaching to a wall that people just aren't getting it, can't get it. Well, I, I've been there myself in my own life. But I think it's that disturbing concept of we don't truly know God because we haven't spent enough time with Him. And in order to know someone, you have to spend time with them, right? To develop the relationship. With my wife, I, I can't expect to truly know her unless I've spent time with her adequately, talking with her, helping her. So the first issue that he has is this pain of unanswered prayer. Let's move on to the second issue this morning. Issue number two is uncontrolled injustice. <laughs> Again, this is, this is written 2,600 years ago, but this is today, isn't it? 2021. You know, part of the reason I'm doing this series uh, back in 2020, you know, my wife had referenced something she was she was reading through, and you know, I'm like, man, Habakkuk is a great book. I'm like, I'm going to put that on my list of of things to preach, and you know, I was planning on doing this series next week, but you know, I've been almost ready for this message for the past couple weeks because I feel like this is what we need to hear at this time. But uncontrolled injustice. Look at verse number three. Let's continue on. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? (laughs) Why are you allowing me to see all this trouble, Lord? For spoiling and violence are before me. Uh, And there are they that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. People are getting away with whatever they want to do, Lord. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Basically, let me try to interpret it in a way you can understand. Why are you making me see iniquity? Why are you making me see all this injustice? Why are you causing me to look at this trouble, this destruction, this violence that is everywhere, this uh, contention and strife that are on the rise? Why are you allowing me to see this, Lord? Again, I've even questioned that even this year, this past year. You see, Habakkuk is vexed by the sinfulness in the society around him. And and I I want you to listen to this statement. Here's many Christians' problems today. Listen to me closely. Many times we are vexed, which means upset, outraged. Many times we are vexed about the sin that we don't agree with, but we could care less about the sins that we commit. Let me say that again, just in case you didn't hear me. Many times we are vexed, we are upset, we are outraged about the sins that we don't agree with, but we could care less about our own sins that we commit. Ouch. (laughs) Because, you know, we look at the news and, man, 
How dare they do that? Get away with it. But let's not talk about our own sins, right? Let's not talk about our own problems. Let's talk about everyone else's. God, why don't you just take care of them? Well, what if God answered your request in the way that you didn't expect and he took care of your problems too? You see, we want God to take care of everyone else's problems, but a lot of times we don't, well, no, just leave me alone, God. <laughs> leave me out of it. You got to deal with these people. None of us are spiritually, you know, uh, there in the sense that we can just look down at everyone else. And that's what we do, though. We, we look down on everyone else, we know, with our nose up in the air, like, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I'm so spiritually moral. I'm this righteous individual. None of us are. The Bible says there's none righteous, right? You know, and thank, thank God that he sent his son to die on the cross for us to give us that imputed righteousness. But Habakkuk, listen, he is genuinely upset over the moral failure of his own people. The Israelites, the Jews, and the sin that they're committing, he is genuinely upset about this. He sees the violence. He sees the injustice. He sees the strife, contention, the oppression, the conflict around him. And it seems as if God is silent while injustice prevails. Again, sound familiar? But this speaks of God's sovereignty. Because again, he alone can see the whole picture. All we see is what's in front of us. Verse number four seems to be a witness, he seems to be a witness of this lawless state. And I've heard it said that when lawlessness prevails, no one is safe. And I feel like we're trending that direction in our own country. In order for the law to have teeth, there has to be some enforcement behind it. But the wicked have overtaken the righteous and made the justice system crooked in their society. They twisted the law to make it fit their crimes for their advantage. Now, before you start thinking about things and getting judgmental, think about your own life. How we twist God's law to make it fit in our life. Again, I'm going to point out someone else's sin, but don't even touch my sin. Don't even touch my hypocrisy. And one of the major themes that stands out to me in these verses is really, it's more of Habakkuk's lamenting spirit. He is, he is really prayerfully Asking God, God, why, why is this going on? And Habakkuk was a, a good individual, a righteous person as a, as a prophet. I'm not saying he was without sin, but he truly wanted God's people to be restored, to be made, be made right. And even though times are bad, he is pleading for God to intervene, to stop this society's mad dash towards destruction. But then we see the third issue this morning. We've seen the first two issues, the, the uncontrolled injustice, the pain of unanswered prayer, but leads to the third issue, which is this, an unexpected answer. You see, God gives him an answer that he was not expecting. And that's happened to me many times. I prayed for something, expecting it to go a certain way, and God said, nope, I'm going a different way. I look at verse number five. And this is going to make more sense even next week as we continue this narrative. But behold, verse number five, behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days. I'm going to do something, Habakkuk, which <laughs> I love this. Hey, you're not going to believe what I'm about to do. Verse number five, you will not believe though it be told to you. So basically God's saying, even if I told you what I was going to do, you're still not going to believe it. And now God is going to tell him what he's going to do, but 
I could tell you what I'm going to do, and you're going to be like, God, that makes no sense. Verse number six. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. So I'm going to raise up your enemy. (laughs) The Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are, now, then God goes on to describe the Chaldeans or uh, the Babylonians. He, he describes who they are. Look at verse number seven. They are terrible and dreadful. These are wicked people. These are the people that I'm going to use to help you, to answer your prayer. They're terrible, they're dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. And I'll explain these in just a second. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from afar, and shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup as the east wind. They shall gather the captivity as the sand. They shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing that his power unto this God. And before I kind of explain these verses, again, verse number five, it's astonishing to me. You know, taken by itself, the words might lead Habakkuk to think that God is going to send a mighty spiritual awakening to Judah, a revival that will rid the nation of idolatry, but that's not what God is going to do. God is going to send something, but it's not revival. Think about this for our own country. Here's the important truth. Sometimes what we need is not what we assume. Sometimes what we need is not what we assume. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians pray the prayer, and I'm not saying this in a negative way. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people will humble themselves, pray, then we'll hear from heaven. You know, basically I'll send revival. That's what we think we need. Or that's what we assume we need. And I'm not saying we don't need revival. I think we do. But sometimes what we need is not what we assume. You see, there are a lot of times we are looking for answers to questions that we don't understand. And when God answers Habakkuk, he is giving him a revelation, listen, not an explanation. I struggle with this because I like to have an explanation for everything. I want to know exactly why things are being done the way that they're done. But I don't always get an explanation. Sometimes it's just a revelation. And here's a reminder. God doesn't owe us any explanations. But a lot of times he graciously reveals himself and his work to those that seek him. You see, what God was doing was so amazing, so incredible, so unheard of that even the prophet would be shocked. He was planning to punish the Jews by the Babylonians, by using the godless Babylonians under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the reality is this, as we've already read the verses and and just understand, no one could stand the Babylonians. No one liked them. The Jews didn't like them. It wasn't like, you know what? These are good people. I want to be like the Babylonians. They didn't like them because they were lawless. They were wicked individuals. Under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, their armies plundered the nations around them. 
And look at how God describes in the next few verses. Verse 6, they're a ruthless, they're a fierce, impetuous people. Verse 7, they are feared and dreaded people uh, and people that had a law to themselves. Basically, they could do whatever they wanted to do and everyone else, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter about you. They were afraid of no one. Kind of, again, sounds like today. And then God uses the picture and nature over the next couple of verses. Their horses had the speed of leopards and the ferocity of wolves. Their troops swooped down like a prey of vultures. Their army swept across the desert like wind and gathered and deported prisoners the way that a man digs sands and ships into a foreign land. And then God's ultimate indictment is in verse number 11, where he's basically saying their strength, listen, their strength is their God. So the nation that God is going to use to punish his people does not even believe in God. Now, let's just stop. Does any of this sound like it makes sense? No, it doesn't. None of this sounds like it makes sense to me. And again, I'm not even going to finish this because it's, it's a continued narrative today. And we're going to wrap it up with an application. But here's the thing. What do you do when God doesn't make sense? For Habakkuk, I'm sure, I'm sure he was thinking like, um, okay, God, it's not the answer I was expecting. It's not what I anticipated. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Revelation series. Sometimes before things get better, they have to get worse. And you think about the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Could anything stop them? Think about the evil in our day. Could anything stop them? They worshiped the God of power. They depended wholly on their own strength. But Habakkuk learned that God was not indifferent to the sins of his people. You see, the Lord was planning to chasten Judah by allowing the Babylonians to invade them and take them into exile. This wasn't the answer Habakkuk expected. He was hoping God would send a revival to his people. He prayed that in chapter 3, verse number 2, which we'll get to. He was praying that God would judge the leaders. God, you have to judge the wickedness in our country. And again, I know many people have been praying for that in our own country. God, you have to righteously judge them and get rid of that. But maybe what God is going to do is maybe similar to Habakkuk. I'm not saying that. But maybe what God is going to do in our own country is similar to what he did in Habakkuk's day. You see, life can be confusing. That's an understatement. You know, that's what 2020 was for many of us. A year that didn't make sense. You think about questions like, why is our nation turned from the truth? Why are moral standards collapsing? I can even make a baby cry. That's awesome. Why have we become tolerant towards things that are so anti-God and anti-Bible? Those are questions that I've been asking. Why is our nation turned from the truth? Why are moral standards collapsing? Why are we so anti-God, so anti-truth? And really, it's even in the churches. It's crept in the churches. Because many of us in, in, in this church and in other churches like this, the things that we accept are completely contrary to God's word. I mean, David gets it. He's, he's agreeing with me. We think things, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Just let them be them. 
You know, if they come out as homosexual, it's not that big of a deal. That's their right. No, it's not. They're going against God and his word and his law. But we have been so indoctrinated in our minds, within our culture, within our schools, and, and within the media and the things that we watch, that it's okay. We don't need to be judging of everyone else. Just let them be them. Look, I'm not saying you go around and, you know, it's your job to righteously judge everyone else. But we have to understand what the truth is. What the truth of God's word is. And here's the thing, church. There are things in God's word that he clearly defines as sin. Right? But again, when it's in our own life, let's not talk about that. Let me point out everyone else's sin. And this is kind of the conversation I was having with my sister the other day. You know, some people talk about legalism within the church, and there is a lot of times where legalism is within the church, and really, it's more about hypocrisy to me, that you preach something that you don't even live, and there's a lot of people that do that, or they're preaching really unrighteous standards and unholy standards for the people, or trying to set the bar that God never intended to set. And what happens is we get so far off of that that we go in a complete opposite direction, which again, that's another message entirely. But here's the reality. All of us have sin in our life that we would be ashamed if anyone knew. Right? But again, let's not point that out. Let's point out everyone else's problems. Let's point out everyone else's mistakes. And again, all of this, listen, I I pray that you stay around for the next few weeks. This is hard to unpack. But the truth is, for many people, here's the reality. They've come to the realization in their minds, in their lives, that they don't need God. But then think about what happens when tragedy strikes. Now listen to me. People typically will turn towards God. Think about when tragedy has struck our land. You think about, you know, going back to like 9-11. Tragedy struck America on American soil. Many people died and lost their lives. People turned toward God. But listen, there is a huge difference of turning toward God and turning to God. Huge difference. A lot of people have turned towards God, but they don't turn to God. Turning to God is basically that identity. God, I am resting in your sovereignty and your control. Turning toward God is, God, I realize there's a problem. You got to help. And then maybe he gives you an answer and then you turn away from him, basically. It's kind of what happens. Turning to God is falling headfirst into him, all that he is. God, you have to help me through this. You are my substance. You are my sustaining power. You see, turning toward God is good, but it never lasts. And this series has the power to be transformational if you allow it to be. And today is only the beginning. So quickly, two simple points and we're done. What do you do when God doesn't make sense? First of all, it goes back to what we've already seen with Habakkuk. You must pour your heart out to God. It's okay to pour your heart out to God. Listen to what David basically said in Psalm 142. He said, I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. You see, David was telling us what Habakkuk is showing us, that it's okay to pour your heart out to God when things don't make sense. So first of all, and again, I don't have time to unpack all of these today, 
What do you do when God doesn't make sense? First of all, pour your heart out to God. Second thing is this. Learn to see the bigger picture. Anyone who's ever put a puzzle together understands this. The puzzle doesn't make sense when it's a million pieces. But as you slowly start putting those pieces together and the frustration, when it finally comes together, whoa, it makes sense. I've used this before. Someone starts building a house. At first, it's like, why would they do that? And then when the house is going, oh, I get it now. It makes sense. You see, that's what we have to do. We have to learn to see the bigger picture. Sometimes God seems to be so unbelievably silent. This seems to occur during storms of life. And what we do, we should not forget to remember who God is. Our confusion does not cancel out God's goodness, even when life doesn't make sense. And in learning to see the bigger picture, it's this church. It's learning to trust him. It's learning to trust even when things don't make sense. Make, make sense. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean on, we, we can quote those verses left and right, up, upside, downside, whatever. But we actually don't live them, most of us. We don't truly trust God all times. You know, we, Michael talked about that song, Psalm 34, preached about it last week in Resetting Our Voice. Most of us don't praise the Lord at all times. His praise isn't continually in our mouths. You know, Habakkuk struggled with unanswered prayers, with trials and troubles in life, with the problem of evil. And this caused him to doubt, began to question, does God really care? And God answered in an overwhelming yes, even though it didn't make sense. And again, next week it'll start to unwrap more. You see, he showed Habakkuk that he does hear our prayers. And he wants to deliver us. But the important thing that Habakkuk kept doing was he kept running back to God. And that's where we need to get. That we continue to run back to God. Bring your doubts to God. Bring your questions to God because he does hear. He does listen. He notices. He cares. And here's the key truth that I want to close with this morning. When life doesn't make sense, turn to God, not just towards God. Many of us have turned towards God. Hey, God, I need you to help me. All right, you've helped me. Now I'm going to go back to my life. No, turn to God. Find your identity in him, who he has made you. You see, what we need is not always what we assume. What we need is to not forget to remember who God is. So who is God? He is a God of love, of compassion, of mercy, of of justice, and he doesn't put up with these things, the wickedness, the strife, the contention, the social injustice. He doesn't put up with those things, but again, his timing is not our timing. And all of us, I think, have been there with these issues, as Habakkuk was. The issue of unanswered prayer. God, you're not answering my prayer. Well, he does, but it's not always the way that we anticipate the issue of an uncontrolled injustice and the issue of an unanswered or unexpected answer. And again, I close with, what do you do when God doesn't make sense? First of all, pour your heart out to him and learn to see the bigger picture that he does love you. He does care for you. And first and foremost, and I know this wasn't a salvation message this morning, but we can always apply the gospel in there. 
If you're not saved, none of life will ever make sense apart from Jesus. And the only way you can make sense of anything is by giving your heart to him. By asking him to save you. By asking him to forgive you of your sins. And when you do that, not only will he forgive you, will he set you free, will he give you a new identity, but he'll help you through a process, through a series, through a journey, make sense of life. For the Christian today, you probably struggle with these issues because I have. Learn to continue to pour your heart out to God and learn to see the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that he loves you, that he cares for you deeply. Even when things don't make sense, it's still important to trust, as we'll see as the series continues. Even when God seems silent, he's still listening. He still knows what's going on. And we have to realize, again, the sovereignty of God, that he is going to answer things and he is going to do what he wants to do because he is in control. And everything is about pointing people back to him. You think about 2020 and you think about the shutdowns and nobody likes those things. But really, it's a great opportunity for the church to spread its wings out. I think sometimes we've been confined to our own box, our own buildings, instead of actually realizing that there is so much more out there that needs to be done. You know, church isn't just a place that we come, we hang out with our friends and that's it. We have some coffee and have some laughs and everything is good and we go and do whatever we want to do outside of church. Church is a place to be equipped, to learn, to grow, and then use those lessons, the teaching moments, and apply it out in the world. And I dare say that many of us, we've heard truth over and over and again, but we haven't always applied it. And what I want you to do from this series is just pray and ask God that you would listen to the teaching. That you would hear what he is telling Habakkuk that resonates in us 2,600 years later. That you would hear it, that you would listen, that you would apply it to your own lives. And even when God doesn't make sense, you're gonna realize that, you know what? You're still God. And Habakkuk got there. It took him some time, but he got there that he found that assurance that victory. His faith was, was restored in God and we can't stay in the questioning stage. It's okay to question, but we can't stay in the questioning stage. We have to move beyond because God wants us to thrive. He wants us to grow in our Christian lives. But we can't grow if we continue to question and continue to get mad at God because he doesn't answer the way that we expect him to answer. Trust that he knows what's best. Let's pray.